0: 1st Corinthians chapter 15 The last time I preached out of 1st Corinthians was December of 2020, 6 months ago. The time before that, I can't remember. Okay, so it's was a long time ago. I've been trying to get through the book of 1st Corinthians since before I took over as pastor. So, if you can believe that, that's been over that's 2 years now. So, um we're just gonna continue through this. I did wanna update you um, on commitment cards that we received. We received um, approximately $596 per week in commitment cards, okay? We need currently, our current budget is six, almost $1,600 a week, okay? So we're a little bit below that, $596 a week. And our current missions budget is 1600 So if you haven't turned that in yet, please do that. Um, and uh, that just helps us with our missions budget as we move forward. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians is an entire book written to the church at Corinth. If you know anything about the church at Corinth, they were not a spiritual church. In fact, they were a carnal church. talk about carnality. The, everything that was going on at the time in Corinth was things that Paul dealt with in the church at Corinth. And so he would begin to work through these things and he would begin to talk about different things and, and carnality and how the world seemed to be seeping in. And so Paul's whole goal was to solidify a carnal church on the foundation of Jesus Christ. It was to solidify a world on a foundation of Christ, and so he's trying to redirect their motives toward Christ and say, listen, get your eyes off the world and get them on Jesus Christ. When we got saved, there is no greater goal, there is no greater focus than that of Jesus Christ. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, he ought to be everything to you. He ought to be what the Bible calls us our, our all in all. He ought to be everything to us. So often we get sidetracked by what's going on in our world, don't we? We get sidetracked with what's going on, we get sidetracked with trends, we get sidetracked with all kinds of different things, but the reality is the world tries to infiltrate our lives in dress, in music, in standards, and all, I mean, listen, the list could go on and on and on and on. We take part in what the world does, we take part in what the world uh, likes, we take part in everything. One of the most powerful ways that I have found that this happens is through the, the eyes. What we see is what we do. Many of us have seen many things in our lives and we begin to, uh, that begins to warp and transform our lives. So think about this. What is the one, number one thing that we often set our eyes on in our home? What is the number one thing we often set our eyes on in our home? It's usually our television, isn't it? All the couches are set up to worship the television. Right? We're all in that circle. I mean, you will walk into a house and you will see the back of a couch. Okay? And at the front of the couch is the television. Our house is the same way. Okay? You will see a television in our house and, and, and we're all set up to watch the television. And listen, television has become... A a means of entertainment, which is not necessarily a wrong thing, but what plays on that television is often what desensitizes us to the cause of Jesus Christ. If you will, it has kind of warped our minds. There are things being pumped into our lives through the television that change us. Now, I'm not trying to preach on television tonight, okay? If you have a television, we have a television, I'm trying to preach on that. But The television has made us accepting of many things. I remember uh, growing up and seeing all kinds of different things on the television that we would have never, ever talked about in our home, but it was on the television, and so we sat there and watched it, and it was a situation comedy, and so it was funny, and so we began to watch some of these things. Television has uh, made us accepting of many things, and we definitely allow ourselves some liberty based on what we see. Again, if, if you're like me, and I hope you are because it would just make me feel a little bit better, but if you're like me, I judge myself by what I see in other people, right? We all do it. The Bible says it's unwise. We ought not to judge ourselves among ourselves and compare ourselves among ourselves, but it's unwise, but the reality is we do it. We do it, and so I will look at the world on television and commercials and all kinds of different things and say, oh, man, I am doing pretty good. Meanwhile, we're sinning left, right, and center, not, not understanding who God is. We'll say things like, I'm not that bad compared to, or there's a lot worse out there than what I'm currently doing. Those are the ways that we excuse away our sin. Again, we ought to be constantly not comparing ourselves with the world and not comparing ourselves among ourselves, but we ought to constantly be comparing ourselves to Christ. And that's what Paul is trying to get across here in 1 Corinthians. Listen, this is not about what you think. This is not about what the city of Corinth does. This is about what Christ wants you to do. So it's not about your standard. It's not about the Cor- Corinthian standard. Listen, it's not about our standard. It's not about St. Thomas's standard or Canada's standard. Or the world's standard. It is about Christ's standard. So how can we live our lives when... How can we live our lives for Christ when all we look at is the world? How can we live our lives for Christ when all we look at is the world? The eyes are such an important part of our lives. Sight is one of our most trusted senses. Sight is one of our most trusted senses. I I remember when I first realized I needed glasses. I was deer hunting, actually. And I was out in the field and I was hunting with, it was actually Blair Thomas. And we were out hunting, and he says, there's some deer across the field. And I look up, and I'm like, there's no deer over there at all. And I'm like, he's pulling my leg, because Blair can be a little bit of a jokester. So I actually pulled up my binoculars, and sure enough, there's deer across the field. I thought, wow, my eyes are getting bad. And so I trusted my eyes. He said there was something, and I did not trust him. I trusted my own eyes and said, no, there's not. And then I bring up my binoculars, and again, it's confirmed that there is something out there sight is our most trust one of our most trusted senses we say we say things like I saw it with my own two eyes we say things like that we trust our eyes almost implicitly we call people eyewitnesses hey there was an eyewitness to that murder there was an eyewitness to that you fill in the blank what it is but we trust those people because they saw what happened We trust their account of the story because they saw it. They didn't just hear it. They saw it. Different. Our sight affects us. Sight affects our thoughts. Sight affects our actions. And so we must be extremely careful what we do with our eyes. Now let's transition here, shift gears. Let's talk about faith. 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 Okay, faith, Hebrews chapter 11, defines faith. Now, faith faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith is in something that we cannot see. Faith is in something that we uh, don't know for sure if it's actually there. Most of us would often call this blind faith. Blind faith. How many of you, by raising your hand tonight, would say that God expects us to trust him blindly? Anybody? God expects us to trust him blindly. Okay? Many of us think that, listen, there is a world out there that thinks that when we believe in some, that we believe in some supernatural, non-existent force in the world that cannot be seen, that cannot be felt, and cannot be heard. That's what the world thinks about us. Those people are a bunch of crazy people who believe in something that doesn't exist. How can you believe a God when you cannot see Him? How can you believe in a God that you cannot hear? How can you believe in a God that you've never touched? They would accuse us of being blind. You're blind. You don't see the world. You're just trusting in something. You're just blind. You're just blind and you're leading other people into your blindness. Blind leading blind people. They would accuse us of believing a bunch of make believe stories and anecdotes, and that we are trusting in those make believe stories, in those fairy tales, for our life after death. Listen, that, that's out there. Those are things that people leave. But listen, I believe this Jesus does not ask us to have completely blind faith, not completely. There are some things that we genuinely don't know. But the reality is this. There are all kinds of things that are proof of Christ's power. There are all kinds of things that are proof of Christ's power. Listen, the entire Bible was written to help us see how God works. When we think about, oh man, I need to take a step of faith and I'm just not sure if God will be there for us. Listen, you can think about the crossing of the Red Sea. And how Moses stepped out and, and lifted his rod and the waves parted and the, the sea completely opened up and they walked across on dry ground. We can think, man, I just don't know how God's going to provide for me, but I know I have to trust God. It's not completely blind because we've seen God provide over and over and over and over and over again before. So it's not completely blind to faith. We don't know where necessarily the answer specifically is going to come from. So if you want, it's a little bit of a shaded faith. But we know God has proven himself time and time and time again. We see God carrying his people through their lives. We see God uh, being uh, establishing his care for his people. But the question still is this, how do we know that God is true and every man a liar if we cannot see him? How do we know that God is true if we cannot see him? Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says to the church, look at verse 1 with me. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received and wherein ye stand, verse 2 by which also ye are saved. If ye keep in memory what I have preached, what I preached unto you Unless you have believed in vain. So here he's talking about faith. You've put your faith and trust in this. I've told you about it before. Unless you've believed in vain. Verse 3 For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried. And that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Verse 5, and that he was seen of Cephas. Thought I missed a verse there, just a second. And that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, and that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also, as one born out of due time. The gospel. the gospel is a credible narrative. The gospel is a credible narrative. Why? Because there was eyewitnesses. There was eyewitnesses not just to his death, not just to his burial, but to his resurrection. Notice with me that there is very little question about the death and burial of Jesus Christ. In fact, it's historically sound evidence that there was a Jesus Christ. There is a historically sound evidence that he was a good man, and there's historically sound evidence that he died on a cross. Historically sound. It's great. Wonderful. He died, and typically, he was buried. That is genuinely accepted, that is widely documented. But the death and burial of Jesus Christ is not extraordinary to the general public. All of us die. We're just, that's normal, right? We all die. We're all going to be buried. Every one of us, to some extent or another, at some time or another, we are all going to die. We, however, who know Jesus Christ, believe that the shedding of Jesus Christ's blood was something spectacular. That was something significant. By the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Jesus Christ's blood has paid for our sins. We believe that. And so we believe the death of Jesus Christ is something powerful and spectacular. But the reality is this. His death is significant, but what makes his death even more significant than any other person's death is the fact that he rose from the dead. You see, the difference in Jesus' death, the thing that makes it most significant is that he rose again from the dead and he's still alive. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living. Whatever men may say, Jesus Christ is still alive. He rose from the dead. You see, it's not a miracle to die. Not at all. All men die not a miracle to be buried. It is a miracle to rise from the dead. It's an absolute miracle to rise from the dead. Listen to this. His resurrection is the single most powerful moment the earth has ever known. I believe that. Above creation. Listen, we believe God created the world by his spoken word. He said, let there be light and there was light. The sun and the moon and the stars. He said, Let there be grass on the earth. Let the waters be separated. Let let there be dry land. Let there be uh, cattle and fish. He just spoke them into existence. Listen to me. That is a powerful moment in the world history. But even far more powerful than that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was the power of the resurrection that conquered death. Because of our sin... Because Adam sinned, the Bible says that death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Every man has sinned, we, have all, we are all sinners, I'm not telling you anything new. So death has passed upon all men, for the wages of sin is death. But because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we no longer have to have death. Death has been conquered. It was the power of the resurrection that conquered the grave. So death and burial listen Jesus Christ's death and Jesus Christ's burial were something significant because of the resurrection it was the power of the resurrection I love this one that defeated Satan it was the power of the resurrection that defeated Satan Satan has no power over Jesus Christ Satan has no power over Christ. And guess what? If Christ is a part of your life, Satan has no power over you. We are free. He is no longer our master. But you might be saying something of this magnitude must be supported by some sort of evidence. We don't just, you don't just expect us to believe this blindly, do you? This is not just some fairy tale, is it? this is not just something that i ought to just pick i just picked out of the sky in that random thought this is what we ought to do listen every religion of the world pretty well has to have some sort of basis there are many uh, you think of islam mohammed takes some time and gets, gets alone, sees some dreams. And maybe Brother Mead, you can correct me here if I'm wrong, but I want you to understand, they do these things, and Muhammad becomes almost like God. He's, he is the prophet. We think about Joseph Smith. We think about Menno Simons. We think about, listen, there's all kinds of beginners of, of, a, of a religion, I want you to understand, the Baptist church, this church, we are not Baptists. We are Biblicists. And we go to Jesus Christ before we go to any person or anything. We know who Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ is different than all other religious leaders. He's different than Buddha. He's different than Muhammad. He's different than all those people. Why? Because of his resurrection. You say, okay, he's different. But how? How do we know this is true? We have eyewitness testimony. We have eyewitness testimony. I could take a bunch of time here, but just notice again with me in verse uh, 5. Verse 5 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 4 tells us that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Verse 5, and that he was seen of Cephas or Peter. So he appears to Peter. And he, Peter's an eyewitness to this. He sees Jesus Christ in front of him. And then of the twelve, the twelve apostles. We know that in the upper room, Jesus just appears. Just, he's just there. He, they saw him. Verse six, after that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once. 500 people at one time. Listen, 500 people all get together and they say, listen, we saw it. We saw it. This is not one or two people saying, we saw Jesus Christ alive. This is not one or two people. This is over 500 people saying, we saw him. Eyewitness testimony about 500 brethren at once of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are falling asleep. Listen, most of them are still alive, Paul's saying. So if you have any question, like, let me know. You can write a letter to them and ask them, did you actually see Jesus alive? Yes, I did. Verse 7, after that, he was seen of James, and then of all the apostles. So we're at 513, 14, it just keeps going. And then verse 7, after that, he was seen of uh, James, verse 8, excuse me. And last of all, he was seen of me also, as one born out of due time. We know that Jesus, Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus. I am Jesus whom now persecuted. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. So we have eyewitness testimony. Listen, the gates of our eyes are something powerful and spectacular, and we want to know, listen, they change our minds. They change our thoughts. They change our actions. What we see changes. How we react. And here we have an eyewitness testimony. 500 people at one time. He walked and talked with people after his resurrection for 40 days, the Bible tells us. And this says nothing of the two men that were on the road to Emmaus. This says nothing of Mary Magdalene who saw him when he was resurrected. So Paul is very clearly pointing out that Jesus Christ is risen. And we have eyewitness testimony. He is who he said he was. He can be trusted. His tomb was not just found empty. The disciples didn't just rob his body out of the grave. Listen, he is alive today. Praise the Lord. Now notice with me, the story doesn't stop there. I mean, that, that's a, those are powerful statements. But they all have a reason for it. There's a reason why this resurrection is so important. Notice with me in verse 12, jump down with me. Paul in verse uh, 9 through 11 just kind of says who he is and what he is, least of the apostles. But verse 12, notice he says, now if Christ... Be preached that he rose from the dead. How say some of you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain and your faith is also vain. We often will talk about this at Easter. Hey, man, if it wasn't for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our faith would be dead. We would have no reason to serve Christ. And I agree. Fully agree. But notice, Paul's putting a different bit of an emphasis on here. You see that in verse 12. How say some of you that there is no resurrection of the dead. You see, Paul's bringing us to a realization, listen, that someday we will die. But there is going to be a day where there is a resurrection of the dead. We're going to walk through this passage here and just talk about some of these things. But notice with me, if there is no resurrection of the dead, Jesus Christ did not rise. Number one, we are empty. We are vain. We're completely empty. Everything that we're doing is emptiness. It's vanity. It doesn't make a difference. It's pure, unadulterated vanity. So me preaching here tonight means nothing. If Jesus did not rise from the dead. Us sending missionaries to Senegal. Us sending missionaries to Dearborn, Michigan. or sending missionaries to Ireland or wherever else. They don't mean anything. It's worthless. We're wasting our money if that's the case. Our preaching is vain. Our faith is vain. But notice with me in verse 15... Yay, watch this, I love this. This It's powerful. And we are found false witnesses of God. Because we have testified of God, that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised So he's saying, listen, if the dead do not rise up again, then Jesus Christ did not rise again. And guess what that makes me? A false witness. Listen, a false witness in the Bible was not necessarily a good thing. It was not necessarily treated in the same way that we treat it here in our society. Listen, this was a serious act. And so we are now false witnesses. We are liars we're empty liars if Christ is not risen and if there is no resurrection of the dead. Look with me in verse 17. He says this, and if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. He says again, ye are, watch this, yet in your sins. And we're going to take some more time and walk through these in a later day. But listen, we are empty liars still in our sins if Jesus Christ did not rise again and if there is no resurrection of the dead. We're still in our sin. That means we have no forgiveness of sin. We have no remission of sin. We we do not have our sins washed away. We are still responsible. We still hold the weight of our sin. If you can think about the pilgrim's progress... And the burden that he was bearing that fell off when he walked up to the cross. Listen, that doesn't happen. You are still carrying the burden of your sin if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead. And there is no resurrection of the dead. Verse 18, then they also, which are fallen asleep in Christ, are perished. You know, we say, we say this all the time. Christianity is a a religion of hope. It is a relationship of hope. Listen, my grandfather passed away a couple years ago. I have a hope and an assurance that I am going to see him again. Because there's a resurrection of the dead and because Jesus Christ rose again. Without that, guess what? He's gone. Never to see him again. That's depressing. Listen, that's what some people in our world live with. They have no hope. They have nothing for them. They they are just, I mean, and we're going to see this. So we are empty liars, full of sin, and we are dead. Number five, in found in verse 19, if in this life only, we have hope in Christ. So Christ was a good man. And we looked to him. But he died. He did not rise again. If in this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. It's just miserable. Just just absolute and utter misery because I have no hope. I have nothing to look forward to. All All my loved ones, I'll never see them again. I'll never rejoice with them again. Nothing. If Christ be not risen, if there be no resurrection of the dead, we are of all men most risen, or excuse me, most miserable. Look at verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead. And become, watch this, the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death. By man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Here's the powerful news. Jesus Christ, Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, tells us, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. Listen, that he might be the firstborn Among many brethren, Jesus Christ was the first one to rise from the dead. And guess what? There's coming a day, we call it the rapture, when the trumpet's going to sound and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Listen, the resurrection of Jesus Christ isn't just some wonderful fairy tale. The resurrection of Jesus Christ isn't just something that we believe in, that we can have life. Listen, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is dependent upon us going to heaven when we die. It is dependent upon that because if Christ be not risen, we cannot rise. We can't go to heaven. So listen, we have proof, we have eyewitness proof that Jesus Christ rose again. Listen, it's the most powerful proof. It's the most powerful moment in all of world history. The eyewitness testimony of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is our greatest hope. Listen, I know based on eyewitness testimony that someday I'm going to see my grandfather again. I know that. I know because of eyewitness testimony of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that I am going to see Jesus Christ someday. It's hope. So let me ask you, is that blind faith? It's really not. It may be difficult for some to believe. There's a book out, The Case for Christ, written by Lee Strobel. I have not read it, so I cannot fully endorse it. But Lee Strobel was a cynic. Thought, I'm going to disprove Jesus Christ. I'm going to disprove that he ever walked on this earth. I'm going to disprove that he was, a, was a, he was just a good man, if anything. And through his research and through his study, he came to know Jesus Christ. And he, and he ended up being one of the biggest proponents for the case of Jesus Christ. I would love to go through that tonight and spend the time and walk through how we can know for sure Jesus Christ based on historical evidence, scientific evidence, all kinds of different things. But we have a hope. Now, I believe that this story doesn't stop here. I believe this, as a saved person, knowing Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, we get to be a testimony of Jesus Christ every single day. Listen, I, I don't think there's a greater example are a greater proof than an eyewitness testimony. Can't think of one. The reality is, if we're honest, none of us have seen Jesus Christ, have we? We haven't. And as much of a, uh, I can't think of a better word, of a bummer, that is, the reality is, We have a working, active relationship with him every day. And so that we can't necessarily say to our friend or co-worker, Hey, I want want you to see and meet Jesus Christ as a physical form in front of you. If we have a constant and consistent daily relationship with Jesus Christ, we can be a testimony of his resurrection. It is the, to use Brother Mead's saying, an everyday, ordinary Christian who is the light of the world. In fact, the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us, ye are the light of the world. In another place, he tells us, I am the light of the world. You know what Christian means, right? It means little Christ or Christ-like christ like There should be no greater thing said of us than man, that person, that man, that woman is like Christ. There is no greater picture in the earth than a Christian that is like Christ and showing forth Jesus Christ. We need to be the light of the world because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ we have access to a relationship with God. The question, very simply, is this. What are we doing with that access? These people, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, they were willing to stand up and say, I saw him. Again, to kind of play off of this last weekend. And today, the sermon today. I think sometimes we're a little scared to stand up and say, I know him. And what's happening is those eyewitnesses, those witnesses are just getting fewer and fewer and fewer. We all sing that song and we sing it with Much fun, the kids' song, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel, no, don't let Satan it out. Right? We sing those songs as kids and we think they're funny as adults, but listen, there is so much truth in them. There is a world out there that is dying and going to hell because they don't know about the life-giving resurrection of Jesus Christ. And sitting in front of me is 40 people who have it. Who have the resurrection of Christ. They know the life that He gives. They are assured that someday we are going to be resurrected out of this deathly world. And we hide it under a bushel. And we think, well, it's not really that important. Well, you know what? In fact, my relationship with God isn't really that important. I don't spend time with him daily, so I obviously can't be an effective light. Listen, in order to be an effective light, we need to be spending time with God on a regular basis. And if I I believe this... If we are living a life focused on the power of Jesus' resurrection, it would change how we act. It would change how we talk to our coworker. It would change how we talk to our neighbor. I was uh, kind of saying this morning that I had to every time I talk to my neighbor, I'm good at talking to my about grass and. You know, now I've got a trailer out front, and uh, it it's very unique. It looks like an armored vehicle, so it's kind of a talking point. So we talk about that, and so it's like the Lord knew that I needed to practice what I preached this morning. So I left my house, started driving over here, and before I got anywhere, my neighbor walks up and says, "Hey, how's it going?" We just started talking. We started talking about COVID. And he's talking about how, how very simple life is and how it's, you know it's, everybody's making it a big deal and all this stuff. And I said, listen, the greatest thing is I know who's in control. And you know what? I know where I'm going if I were going to die from COVID. And I, I don't know if we'll ever get another opportunity to speak. I'm sure we will. But I just want to start Telling him about the life that Jesus Christ can give. The resurrection of Christ is not just an Easter time story. It ought to be every single day of our lives, focused on him. Because without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our faith is in vain. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are empty, we are dead, we are sinful. We are, of all men, most miserable. But because Christ came, because he died, because he was buried, and because he rose again, and we have eyewitness testimony of it, we can be assured that he is trustworthy. We can be assured that we have a home in heaven when we die.